Well, it was, the year was 1984, I was 17 years old, and I was begging my parents for a brand new car. And I begged, and I begged, and I begged, and finally, one day, it appears, a 1984 Chevy Camaro. Sweet, right? Yep. There it was, and like, what else would it take to make a 17-year-old boy, like, in heaven, you know, five-speed cassette deck, you know, the works. And I remember my mom, the day I got it, she said, well, I hope you're satisfied now. And I said, well, you know, matter of fact, mom, I am very satisfied. And I drove in my car and it was new and it had that, you know, new car smell and, and I loved it. But then a few months after that, I had a knock at the door and it was my best friend, Billy. And I opened up the door, and Billy was there to show me his brand new 1984 Z28, which had T-tops. It was black, the silver spoilers. Man, five-speed with the Recaro orange seats. I remember to this day. And then all of a sudden, I was not very satisfied with my car. And so goes the story of our lives. We we get new things and we desire new things and we chase after new things and, and we get them and they do make us feel good for a little while. But then all of a sudden the day comes when the new has worn off and it just doesn't feel like it used to feel. And it just doesn't bring that feeling that we got originally. You know, what? everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? You get the new stuff, it's great, but then it wears out, it's older, somebody gets something better. What if there was a way... To be satisfied all the time. What if, what if there was a way to be happy, to be content? Would you want to know about it? If there was? Of course you would. If you're here today for the first time, we're glad you're here. Everything we do on Sunday morning, we think about you. We don't only think about you, but we think about you and how this is going to sound, feel, and be, and be an experience for you. There's some folks coming down the aisles right now with Bibles. We do this every week at Life Point. We give away Bibles because we believe the words in there can lead you towards a relationship with God. So just let the people know that are coming down. If you'd like one, if take it. It's yours to keep. We're in the fourth week of a series called Itudes, talking about our inner attitudes, the things that we feel inside, the way we approach life, the, thing, the way we feel about things. And the verse that I've given you every week is Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Meaning that our goal should be to think the way he thinks. Our goal should be to react the way Jesus would react. To respond the way he would respond. In the book of Matthew, there's four books in the Bible that tell the story of the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus notices that there's a lot of crowds traveling around with him. He notices there's a bunch of people and his following is getting larger and larger. So he takes an opportunity in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the longest recorded sermon of Christ in Scripture. And he takes the opportunity to let them know what following him is all about. To let them know that following him is about more than external rules and actions that following Christ has to do with your motives. It has to do with your heart. And over and over again through this sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 
Jesus lets his followers know that Christianity is a religion not just identified by the way you act on the outside, but it's a religion that changes you from the inside out. pursuit of happiness is written into the Declaration of Independence. So that's what we do. We pursue and pursue. We convince ourselves that life will be better after we get married, have a baby, and then another. Then we are frustrated that the kids aren't old enough and we'll be more content when they are. After that, we're frustrated that we have teenagers to deal with. We'll be much happier when they're out of that stage. We tell ourselves that our life will be complete when our spouse gets his or her act together. When we get a divorce. When we get remarried. When we get a nicer car. When we own a home. When the home is paid off. Once we get another job, after we are vested, once we go on vacation, when we retire, we won't be satisfied until we finish school, until we go back to school, until we lose 10 pounds. Until we gain 10 pounds. Until Friday night. Until Sunday morning. Until spring. Until summer. Until fall. Until winter. Until we are off welfare. Until the 1st. Until the 15th. Until our song comes on, until we've had a drink, until we've sobered up, until we die, until we die, until we die. Unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of us, we live our lives waiting for the next thing, waiting for the next thrill, waiting for the next purchased, waiting for the next acquisition, just waiting and waiting for the next thing in hopes that this thing, when I get it, this thing, when I experience it, this thing, when I do it, is going to bring me happiness. And then I'll be happy, and then I can sit back, and then I can start to enjoy life. Jesus had a lot to say about happiness. He had a lot to say about contentment. And when he's, when he's on this mountainside teaching these crowds and crowds of people, he knew that even in the first century, people were dealing with contentment. People were dealing with the desires of wanting more and more and more and thinking that there's something they can go and do and find and purchase and experience that's going to all of a sudden bring fulfillment to their life like they never had before. He knew that. And he says to them in Matthew 6, verse, beginning in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body 
more important than clothes. And Jesus goes on to tell these people, just look around you. Look at the birds. They don't, I've never seen a worried bird. You know, birds seem to kind of have their act together. You know, they know when to go south, know when to go north, know when it's time to go get the worm. Birds don't worry. And Jesus is saying, look, I take care of them so I can take care of you. And don't worry about what you're going to wear because look at these beautiful flowers and the way that I've made them. And if I can take care of them, I can take care of you. He says, not even King Solomon in the Old Testament had as much going for him as one little flower that God puts in the field. And so Jesus said, in a sense, don't worry about stuff. I've got the stuff taken care of. What you need to worry about is your relationship with me, where you find contentment. You need to be concerned about not those things that are external, but the things that are internal. And he said, if you look to me first, if you seek me first, all these other things just have a way of taking care of themselves. It's kind of like last week when I talked about giving and the verse in Malachi that said, test me, give me a tent and watch how I can bless you. And in this case, Jesus is saying, put me first and watch what happens. Put me first and you don't have to search other places for contentment. You don't have to search for other things to fill you up. You don't have to search for other things to satisfy you if you put me first. Wouldn't it be easier to be content if we were convinced that Christ had it covered? If we were convinced, he's he's got it covered. Being concerned about the stuff of life takes all the joy out of life. And Christ is trying to communicate to these people and to us that he is the source of joy, not things. In this uh, sermon, Jesus mentioned King Solomon in the Old Testament. And King Solomon was rich beyond any of our wildest imagination. He was loaded. He was the Bill Gates of the Old Testament. He had lots and lots of money. And he could buy anything he wanted. He could do anything he wanted because he had the cash. He had the resources. And he could do anything he wanted. Wouldn't that bring happiness? Wouldn't it be pretty, wouldn't that be great to do anything you wanted? Go anywhere you wanted to go. Buy anything you wanted to buy. You would think somebody like that could find contentment, peace, and happiness. But listen to what he says in a book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is coming from the richest guy in the world. The most popular guy in the world. The guy that probably had the most stuff in the world. But he was still searching. There was still something that had not filled him up. There was still something that he needed that he didn't have. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14 he says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. Chasing after the wind. He's saying, I've done it all. Trust me, I've done it all. I've tried it all, and they're all meaningless. In chapter 2, he says this I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So everything he saw that he wanted, he got it. Everything he thought about he wanted to do, he did it. But he still wasn't content. That video you just saw asked the question, Are you happy? 
Have you found happiness? Have you found contentment? Is there that is there that income bracket that you're going for that you think when I get there, then happiness? Is there the, the house or the car or the or the thing you want to possess that you think if I get that, if I get there, then I'll have happiness, then I'll be content. If there's one word that describes our culture today, it's more. More. More of everything. There's more cars on the road. There's more houses being built. There's more roads being built. There's more gizmos, cool little gadgets to buy. There's more, more, more of everything. Everything's increasing. Everything's growing. There's just more. But how much is enough? How much is enough for us when we say, you know, I've I've got enough. I've accomplished enough. I've experienced enough. There's two ways to get enough. Two ways to have enough. Get more or desire less. In the song, Soak Up the Sun, Sheryl Crow says this, it's not having what you want, but wanting what you've got. One time, Howard Hughes was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And he responded, just a little bit more. Some of you here today are dealing not with more on, in the area of possessions, but you're here today wondering, is there more to life than what I've experienced this far? Could there be more to life than just working day after day after day, raising kids, going to my job, paying bills? Is there more to life? God says there is more to life than just that. We can experience so much more with Him. We can experience with Him contentment. Here's some facts about contentment. Contentment is learned. It's not natural. Just watch your kids. If you think contentment is natural, watch your kids. Get them a toy and see how long they play with it. It's not long to where where it's kind of worn out or maybe not even worn out. They're just kind of tired of it and, and they're finished with it. Contentment is something we have to learn. In Philippians 4, it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances Contentment is a process. Contentment is something that we learn. Contentment is not microwavable. It's not, you just can't pop it in the microwave and have it in a minute. It takes time. It takes a while to learn contentment. Another fact about contentment is that money doesn't bring it. Money does not bring contentment. U.S. News and World Report had this to say about money. It says Americans with household incomes under 35000 say it would take 72000 to fulfill the American dream. Those who make 100000 say it would take 192000 to fulfill the American dream. So if we could just double, then the American dream would be fulfilled. You know, the pursuit of money won't make you content. Money's meant to, to do good, to enjoy, but not to provide happiness. Money's not meant to be loved. Solomon said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too, he says, is meaningless. You know, today we're ten times more likely to suffer from depression than our grandparents were. Ten times. Anybody have grandparents that tell you story of a simpler, tell you stories of a simpler time, a different day, when they did shopping out of catalogs? And they didn't walk around with cell phones. Maybe, not, maybe they didn't even have a telephone. 
I remember my grandfather telling me stories about the little town he grew up in and how the only way he could get in and out was a train. And when the train came, it was a big deal because the train came and there was like stuff on it and you could go and get like a pair of shoes. <laughs> and he would tell all these stories like of his grandmother getting around the fire with them and reading them a book and how that was like the treat of the week or the month or maybe the year that grandma would read a book. And I sit there and think, well, gosh, how did you survive? How did you do that? I wonder, what am I going to tell my kids? You know, kids, daddy had to get up and walk across the room and change the TV channel. It was a hard life. It was difficult back then. We had 13 channels, and I just don't know how we survived. Or, you know, our internet had a wire. You know, we had to plug something in the wall. This doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? One day I was out with my oldest daughter, and and, uh, we were at the airport, and she saw this thing on the wall, and she was kind of confused, and she said, Daddy, what is that? And it was a payphone. And and she asked what it was. I said, well, it's a payphone. And she said, what, a payphone? I said, well, you you put a quarter in there, and, you know, you put the number in, you talk to somebody. And she's like, well, why wouldn't you use your cell phone? (laughs) She just didn't get it, just doesn't have have the, the same ring. We're bombarded always with new, with more, with better. And always bombarded with reminders of what we don't have. You know, there's nothing wrong with more. There's nothing wrong with making more money. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the Bible says to be content with what you have. Some people are going to be blessed with a lot. Some people are going to be blessed with a little. But God says be content with what you have. In 1 Timothy 6, it says godliness with contentment is great gain. One of my good friends has on his desk a list. And the list is called, Things I Choose Not to Afford. And he writes them down. One day he showed it to me. He had some things on there that he could afford, but he had chosen not to afford just because he wanted to do something else with his money. He had on there, Bass Boat. I was thinking, oh man, that's a hard choice. Big screen TV, you know, it's like, cross that one off my list. And all these things that, that he just chooses not to afford. Because more than anybody I've ever met, he understands that the pursuit of money won't bring contentment. Another fact about contentment is that contentment is independent of our circumstances. You've probably heard somebody say, well, she's doing all right under the circumstances. Circumstances are not meant to be lived under. God wants us to live on top of our circumstances. You can be content regardless of your circumstances. And you can probably think of somebody that no matter what comes their way in life, they're content. Contentment has to come from something greater than that on the outside. And that's why Jesus gathered these people, this crowd on this hill, and said, contentment comes from a relationship with me. Contentment comes from inside not outside. It comes from a heart-level relationship with Christ that affects the way you think. Life's always going to be full of ups and downs, good and bad. But if your contentment comes from something other than your circumstances, it's not going to be that hard to grab hold of. Last thought about contentment is comparison kills contentment. Proverbs 14, verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. 
You know, it's hard to be content when your neighbor keeps buying things you can't afford. And if I constantly compare myself to others, if I look out here and see who's here and I see all the nice full heads of hair, and then I think of my head, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. If I look at your possessions and I think about my possessions, it's hard to find contentment. If I compare my body, go back to that other screen. I mean that other slide, the one before that one. There you go. If I compare my physique to this guy, you know, he's got six-pack, he's got some nice muscles going there. I've got like a two-liter, you know, Coke. And so if I start comparing myself to this guy, I'm not going to be content with myself. Or if I compare the way I look to the way you look, or compare your possessions to mine, or what you drive with what I drive, or the way you are with the way I am, it's not going to be long until I have no contentment. That's the fastest thing that will kill your contentment is comparing yourself to other people. There's only one of you. You're unique. So don't compare yourself with others and what they look like and what they drive and and who they are because that will kill your contentment faster than anything. You know, God wired us up to desire more. He wired us up to search for more, to long for more, That's just the way he made us. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says this. God has planted eternity in the human heart. That longing that you have in your heart. That that hole, that place that you wonder, am I ever going to get to a place in life where that's filled up and where I am completely and totally filled up? God put in every one of us that desire for more because that's the that's the desire for him that's the desire for eternity for something that lasts and lack of contentment comes when we try to put things in the space that God has reserved for eternity every person that's ever been born has eternity planted in their heart And we get off track when we try to put other things in the place where eternity should go. So what if there was a way to be satisfied? What if there was a way to be content? What if there was a way to know that contentment would come your way and you could live with contentment and satisfaction? Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of of your heart. Following God is the only way to fill up the emptiness that we all deal with. Whether you're here for the first time checking out church, seeing if there's anything that can be offered here to make a difference in your life, or if you've been coming to church for decades, delighting in God is the only path to contentment, is the only path to satisfaction. Delighting in God and All the things, I mean, God's complex. You you can't understand everything about God, but he still says, delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. First time I read that, I thought, cool, I get anything I want. That's not what that means. It means that God will change your desires and he will give you the desires that exist in your heart. And he will change you just like Jesus was trying to show the people in the Sermon on the Mount 
He will change you from the inside out. He'll be enough to fill you up. He'll be enough to satisfy you. He'll be enough to bring you contentment. So what does Jesus think about contentment? Jesus said, put me first and all these things will come to you. All these things, including contentment and satisfaction, will come your way. 